You're not gonna be thanked as a teacher on day one. You're gonna be thanked a year later, five years later, 20 years later when they come back to you and say, you are the one that changed my life. And it's gonna be the kid that you don't expect it. It's gonna be that kid that you don't even probably notice compared to other kids. That's the life that you're gonna be changing. Hello, and welcome to Twig Education On, Other People's Children, a book by Lisa Delpit. I am Christopher, and today I will be discussing Lisa Delpit's book with Contessa Akintunji. Hello, Contessa. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. We are going to be discussing the book Other People's Children, Cultural Conflict in the Classroom by uh, Lisa Delpit. I just wanted to know a little bit more about how that has influenced you and your educational journey. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, mine wasn't great. I grew up in the foster care system in inner city Los Angeles back in like the 90s. And it was pretty rough back then. A lot of stuff that you would see in like Boys in the Hood. I went to the closest school possible and I felt like my education was taking the back burner over discipline. Um, We had a lot of Caucasian teachers and a lot of little black kids and we had a lot of new teachers too, I remember. They couldn't control the classrooms. And so I even told my foster dad when I got home, I'm like, you know, I I don't feel like I'm learning a lot. And I swear about two weeks later, I was on a bus to the San Fernando Valley getting bus to school for the next seven years. And so I got what you call like, you know, quotes, a better education by leaving and taking a, like a two hour bus ride for seven years. So I felt like my foundation was very, very weak. I had to catch up on foundational like writing skills and grammar and mathematics. And it was always a a catch up game. So I get up at like four o'clock, get on a bus at 4.45 or so. And you're two hours because you're picking up all the other kids in LA. And there was even like a bus strike where we were late for about four, four or five months. We were sitting three to a seat, four to a seat, holding each other up across the aisle and missing breakfast, missing first period in high school, just missing out. And no one really cared about the LA kids. They, we were just seen as a problem. And it, and it was not great because we weren't assimilated into the culture of the school. We weren't going to the parties. We weren't invited to the birthday stuff. We weren't able to see our friends after school. We had to go to another neighborhood to get an education. So it was quite, quite difficult to like make friends and have connections like that, you know? And I did bring that into my teaching. I, you know, taught in the Huntington Park area, another inner city locale of Los Angeles. And I tried to put everything of myself into my classroom, into my students, into everything that I did. But when I read Lisa Dilpitt's uh, book, it was life-changing. What about the book specifically, would you say, was the life-changing aspect of it? I shifted careers and went into teaching later on in life. And I did this program with my charter district where you get your master's and you are in a classroom for the first year. So we had a, a distance program from the University of the Pacific. So on Wednesdays, we would go to these classes And the person in charge of it, she was amazing. And she had us read Lisa Delpit's book, Other People's Children. And so from that book, we ended up doing all these different exercises that were very powerful. I remember she asked us to write down our own biases because in, you know, the book, she talks about how implicit bias is not just for white America. This is for every person. And I'm like, oh, I don't really have biases. I love everyone. And I'm an African-American teacher in the inner city, so I don't have any and that was why she had us do it. We sat down and wrote down our own biases. And we talked a lot about write anything, write anything you ever thought of that was unfair or something that's a prejudice, anything stereotypical, just write it down 
And as we did this exercise, it was like cathartic. I mean, things start to pour out of your head that you never thought of. And we found out that every single person from a range of different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds had implicit biases. It was so traumatic, but it was necessary to get the truth out and to see that we're all walking into these classrooms with different biases. And then she said, forgive yourselves. Like, it's okay. Now that you're aware of them, now go forward with this mindset. And so once we took the guilt away, which took like a few more weeks, we were able to utilize what we learned and and just pour ourselves into each and every child and get to know each and every child differently and to use their cultures and their backgrounds. I mean, for you guys to do that in your class amongst your peers and to have to call that out about yourself, I'm sure... Super powerful. I mean, that I, I, that gave me like chills hearing you talk about <laughs> I'm it. I'm telling you, it was I can only powerful. imagine. It was powerful, but I think it was a lot and it was intense, but it was absolutely powerful because once I got to walk into my classroom and I was able to take everything I've learned and, and start afresh. And of course, it was still incredibly difficult. I was still a lead teacher my first year from my experiences, but my classroom was different because I was in a mostly Latino neighborhood instead of an African American. So It was similar, but the cultures were completely different. And I even ran into other teachers who had biases about parents. I learned the theory of just telling other teachers, like, let's not judge parents. And I learned that from the book and I learned that from the program. And it's because you don't know everyone's background. Let's say a teacher loves her kids and she has a parent who's Latino, who's just the kids, uh, the parent never comes in and talks to them and never inquires about their kid. They might assume they don't care. And I learned through my program through reading her book that that's not the case. You need to sit down and talk to these people who are actual people without assuming and ask them if you have a question. And you find out that many Latino cultures, it is disrespectful to approach a teacher and to inquire and to distract them from their their journey. You have to put the extra effort to get to know your community that you're working with and each and every child is completely different. Even my African-American students, it was still a struggle because I didn't have the same background as some of them. So you're always faced with these challenges of getting to know people for who they are and kids are just little people. So, you know, you got to spend that extra time and tell your superiors and tell them that this is this is my intention. This is my goal. And this is why it's going to be very effective for your bottom line and your test scores. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get to know these kids and get to know them, not six months down the line. We're going to get to know them in the beginning because who wants to be around someone all day who hasn't taken the time? to get to know you from being a number, you know? And a lot of these behavior problems are gonna go out the door once you get to show the kids that they can trust you and that you know who they are. I think a lot of teachers unfortunately forget that, you know, those students are humans, like you said earlier. You know, I taught early first grade and younger kids and I still treated them like I treat anyone else. You don't have to have that little baby talk with the students, you know, respect them, they respect me. and. All kind of work together. and I agree. I always had my students be very independent. Even my eighth graders have them be independent. They they hated it in the beginning. They couldn't stand me asking a question, saying, what do you think? Where are you taking notes? Can you ask this person? And I had other kids, she, she, she already explained it. Did you not write it down? And like helping each other. And I feel like the last day of school, I came back from a turn to leave and they didn't think they were going to see me, my eighth graders. And they said, we thank you so much on the board for everything you did. It was hard, but we can do it now. And like, you're not going to be thanked as a teacher on day one. You're going to be thanked a year later, five years later, 20 years later, when they come back to you and say, you are the one that changed my life. And it's going to be the kid that you don't expect it. 
It's gonna be that kid that you don't even probably notice compared to other kids. That's the life that you're gonna be changing. So you always have to be aware of how you're treating them and letting kids know you can start over. Like these kids get in these terrible cycles of discipline and being bad and it's terrible. Let them know they can start fresh. I had this one kid um, when I was subbing, he was coming in the classroom not doing well. And I was like, get back in here, sit down in this class, come on. I was a very strict teacher. And the principal's like, come here. You gotta, you know, give him a way out. Everybody wants a way out. So she told me just to leave the door open and continue teaching. And that little kid walked back in after a while and sat down. What person doesn't want a way out when they feel like they're stuck between a, hard, a rock and a hard place? They made some bad choices. What kid doesn't want a second chance to just start fresh? All of it comes from those kinds of books. Even um, Shirky Holly's culturally responsive uh, teaching, I believe. My partner teacher, he would have the kids tell him what they need to do to solve the, the problem that they caused. I mean, he would sit down with every kid every time. What do you What do you think we should do? And a kid would come up with the most amazing solutions that were not punitive. And so he would help them create their own consequences that were logical. There's so many things to do and it's overwhelming on top of everything else teachers have on their plate. It is, but it can be fun if you just kind of focus on getting to know them and teaching them life skills. Other stuff is going to come. I think those life skills are what's more important, I think, too. Most of the time, of course, we got to learn how to read and write and do math, but those life skills are going to sit with that student forever and, you know, help them down the road and help find a good job and work with coworkers. And That's why I became a teacher. I used to work in human resources and the people who would come interview were kind of like young people. And I was like, whoa, they don't know the rules of interviewing and they would lose the opportunities. And so I became a teacher to get to these kids when they're younger. And my kids, we would handshake and it's not firm enough. Let's do a firmer handshake, especially the minority kids. I'll just do all the little tips and tricks that work for everyone and help my kids like, oh, we're being really loud and that's our culture. But you know what? There's a time and place because in other places, we need to be able to show them what they need to see for us to be successful. And it's not fair, but it's what we need to do because we want you to be successful. And Lisa Delpit talks about how we cannot hide this from the kids. We cannot shield them from the fact that there's race and bias and prejudices against them. They need to be fully aware of this so they, they know how to move forward. I remember in fifth grade, I had my, my white teacher came in and he told us that we were slaves back in the day. And we just sat there like, oh, it felt so like, yeah, that's what happened. Not a big deal. I wonder if there's like a teacher who was more compassionate teaching that class to say, you know, we've known this for 30 years personally, but this kid just found out today. How else do I describe this? Or that, you know, you're, you come from Mexico maybe, and there's biases against people coming from Mexico to this country. Let's talk about this so that the kids are aware of what's happening and what they're seeing. It's not fair to just expect them to follow the rules when they don't know that there's any rules that they need to follow. My daughter's in first grade. She missed a year of kindergarten. She started her school career on the Zoom. I took a picture of her with her little hat that they sent her for first day of school. And that was her experience. And I do make it a point when they send home the Goldilocks and the Three Bears, as soon as they send that home, I send my email. This is a great story. There's other cultural responsive ways of teaching Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Here's some African folklores. Here's some Latino culture backgrounds. There's so many ways to do these fairy tales. And we need to make sure that every kid is represented and every kid feels special. Even this year, I, I got the whole class the color, we call it the skin tone crayons. I got a set for every kid in the class. And I didn't know how it was going to go over, but I heard that every kid is drawing everybody. Kids are drawing things that you wouldn't think they would draw for, for themselves. Like a, a, a white child drawing themselves brown, a brown child. Like it's really cool when you give the kids the tools. And these crayons and Goldilocks and a book, it's not a solution. 
it's just a way to start small and to make yourself feel okay because it's difficult to be a teacher in this day and age. So it makes you feel like you're taking steps and you are taking steps by just starting these conversations. Just the fact that you like how you're exposing the other students in your daughter's classroom with the crayons, you know, you're exposing the teachers to other resources and books that are available to them and, you know, helping expanding their capabilities yeah. that they can do. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It, it, and I just know that a lot of times, like she talks about in her book, sometimes white teachers will feel sorry for the minority kids and give them more breaks than other kids, not challenging them as enough. And that's a huge problem when you're not challenging capable children to be their best. Uh, one question about the book on page 58, she talked about how teachers across the U.S. are more likely to correct student dialect influence pronunciation, which I thought makes sense as an elementary school teacher, because, you know, you want them to make the same correct sound that we're all used to. But really important to understand that our students have that linguistic diversity and just acknowledging that not everyone's going to say brother the same way or you know, certain words. So what tips do you have for um, early elementary teachers when they're teaching fluency and phonics to help students without hurting that dialect influence pronunciation? I would say you need to start where the kids are at and where they're at is how they speak at home. So find out how they say things and talk about how they say things and talk about maybe how you say things and say, oh, this is different. Is one better? Is one worse? No, they're just different. Maybe when you're in an academic environment, you write more academically than when you're on Twitter. I used to teach appropriateness to my middle schoolers. Like, that's awesome what you're doing, but it's not appropriate for this situation because each situation you can change and have different appropriatenesses that you can use. Every one of them is valid and, and legit. Like, so just meeting your kids where they are and telling them that everything is happy and good, but there's different ways to do things and having them be aware of when to, like, we call it code switching. It's not fair that many people have to code switch, but it is something that is very effective for, to make more people become more mainstream and getting those jobs and things that they want that way, if that's what the teacher wants. But you can also celebrate their culture and dig into that even more, like go into Spanish and the different dialects of Spanish around South and Central America. Really dive into it. Don't assume all your kids are from the same place. Talk about their different cultures. There's huge differences. Don't make everyone a cookie cutter image of what we think is right. Because I had my cookie cutter image of what I thought my kids should be and what I should be as a teacher knocked down so many times. And I realized it's whatever my gut told me. Trust yourself. You do not get celebrated for being an educated professional much. So be confident in your choices and be confident in where your intuition is telling you to go and, and focus on what needs to be improved and what does not need to be improved. You've given so many really great tidbits of information to how Teachers in the classroom and brand new teachers coming into the field can really use what you've talked about and those little suggestions to really help them. So I am not an expert in this. I felt so inadequate to so many people who I worked with. I'm telling you that everyone feels this way and to not be hard on yourself because that's not going to help anyone. What you can do is start having conversations with your colleagues. That is a huge step. That's an easy step. And people are going to be so open to telling you their experiences or what their culture does or what they do with their kids that works. And that's just a really, really easy way to get information little by little. You know, don't take on everything. Have a goal for a couple of weeks or a month and then see if it's working. Reevaluate. Try another goal. You don't have to change overnight. You don't have to change what you're doing. We just want you to be aware that there's different perspectives looking back at you between all those little eyes, you know, and those little heads. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and sharing your experience, your education journey, and 
how that book, Other People's Children, Cultural Conflict in the Classroom by Lisa Delpit really has influenced you and helped make you be the teacher that you are. Thank you, Chris. It was such a pleasure to talk with you too. I appreciate you taking the time to, to read it so we can have this authentic conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.